Welcome to the Principal Pipeline, the Wallace Foundation's podcast. I'm Lucas Held, Director of Communications at Wallace, and I'm so glad you've joined us today for what we believe will be an informative and useful conversation. At Wallace, a major focus of ours for nearly two decades has been an effort to strengthen the training and support of school principals who play an important and essential role in school success. And so, for five years, starting in 2011, we invested in six large urban school districts to help them build principal pipelines and to learn more about what it takes to do so. What do we mean by a pipeline? We mean a coherent system of training, hiring, and supporting novice principals on the job with the goal of building a substantial pool of strong candidates to lead schools. On the Principal Pipeline podcast, we'll bring you an in-depth conversation with those who are actually doing the building of pipelines to share what we and they are learning, learning about how districts and states can develop good systems to produce a robust supply of effective school principals. I'm delighted to welcome our two guests today. Carmen Farina, the Chancellor of the New York City School System, which is one of the six districts participating in our Principal Pipeline Initiative, and my colleague, Jody Spiro, who's the Director of Education Leadership here at the Wallace Foundation. Thanks to you both for joining me to kick off the Principal Pipeline podcast series. And let's turn first to Jody Spiro. Tell us about what is a Principal Pipeline? Thanks, Lucas, and it's such a pleasure to be here with you and with Chancellor Farina. Uh, Principal Pipeline is, uh, as you've said in your opening, a, a systemic way to think about everything that, that this important position, people in this important position need in order to be successful ultimately for uh, improving the life of the school and the achievement of students. And we would uh, say from research that's now been tested out in New York and the other five districts, it consists of rigorous standards for leaders. What does it take to be an effective leader? Uh, And then those same standards being applied to the training that those who aspire to be principals get. We call it pre-service. And then all importantly, how principals are hired, and that they're hired according to those very same standards, and that they're matched well with the schools that they uh, ultimately uh, serve as principal. And and finally, uh, the component of supporting the principals on the job during their first three to five years, which is often very overlooked as as people get the keys to the building and and told good luck, we need to see a pipeline as continuing through the first years that principals are on the job. And and just to say that um, this is all research-based and the big uh, finding that we've just had that Funding such a pipeline is actually affordable for districts. In the study done by RAND, published just recently, uh, it's been shown that uh, in a district like New York, uh, this type of pipeline is 
costs less than uh, half 1% of the district's annual budget. So it's doable, it's affordable, and Carmen, our kids need it. Absolutely, they deserve it. They deserve it. And maybe speaking of why they deserve it, um, <clears throat> and speaking of things that are overlooked, all of us have had the experience of a great teacher, but maybe it's a little less visible what the principal does. So maybe um, just to set us off, uh, start us off on this, why is the principle so important, and why have you made it such a uh, pillar of your leadership efforts here in New York City? Well, first of all, the principle sets the tone. How they act, what they say, what they choose to do in the classrooms and visiting classrooms, and even curriculum choices they make in conjunction with their staff really makes it a very, very good school or a very poor school. So to me, the principal is the most pivotal role in the entire system. And I've held every role, 52 <laughs> years in education. And I would say in terms of where you can make the most change or the most destruction is at the principal level. So I want to be clear. For me, having the best principals in New York is a mandate. There's nothing that's more important. And I think also, it's not just working with teachers and children, but as we've seen in New York City, if you don't also include families as part of the people that you work with and who you outreach to, um, it's only going to be good for a moment in time, not for over a period of time. So as we embrace the framework for great schools, we put in a lot of evaluative tools for principals on how they meet with their families, how they do parent professional development, are they trusted by their community. And in order to ask so much of principals, we also have to make sure that when they become principals, that they know what's expected, but they're prepared for the work. So in terms of pipeline in New York, the very first regulation that I put in place as chancellor, I think I was there a month, was that anyone who wanted to be a principal had to have at least seven years of pedagogical experience. And it may seem very simple or almost common sense, but if you haven't been a teacher for at least a while, why should anyone trust you that you're credible in telling them what to do? So to me, a principal is a model teacher, it's a master teacher, uh, is someone who understands what it's like to be a parent, and is able to be in an affirmative way, saying this is a great profession, follow my lead, you too will succeed. So that's a terrific um, uh, description, Chancellor, of um, <clears throat> the pivotal role of, of leadership. Could I just ask Carmen, to compare, um, since you were an extremely successful principal for many years, and you say that it's the position with the greatest leverage, what's the difference of how you were recruited and hired and prepared for the job compared with those uh, functions as you now uh, have them performed for principals? Well, I think first and foremost, I was very fortunate to be cajoled into becoming a principal and sought after. So I think because the dignity of the superintendent, and we brought back superintendents big time in New York City, are that they give the first message. They're the first model principles. And if they say, I need the best to be working for me, you already raise the dignity of being a principal. And I think one of the, for me, part of the pipeline is not just recruiting teachers, but principals, but how do you retain them? So to me as a principal, I was not only cajoled into becoming a principal in the school I became a principal in. But also, it was very obvious that he want, the superintendent wanted to retain me over time. So he just didn't see my job within a, a box. 
He said, what more do you want to do? And how much, where do you want your sphere of influence to grow to? So I became a principal mentor, I mean, lots of things. So in this job, I make very sure that one of the first things we did was raise the dignity of principals and teachers, because you can't do one without the other, but made it also a job that you celebrated all the time and that you talk publicly about. And even when I speak to the press, I, I keep saying, do you know what the life of a principal is like? Because I don't think unless you've been in those shoes, you really get it. And understand that you're changing families' lives, especially in New York City now. You know, we have over 100,000 kids in homeless shelters. That's overwhelming if you look at it from a principal's perspective, but not if you look at it from a perspective of how can I change the course of history for this these particular kids. So I think um, I learned lessons because I was a principal in a place that did it right, and I wanted to bring that kind of structure to here. Not anybody can become a principal. Not anybody should be a principal. It shouldn't be based on who you know, but what you know. And I think that's a major shift in New York. Um, so also, the career ladder, what you talk all about in terms of pipeline, we now have in New York City, well, a teacher. You have a master teacher. You have a teacher leader. We expect you to pay your dues in many different ways so that you get credibility in the field so that before you go up to the next level, you've already proven that you're an instructional leader. That's a big change because either you, it's perceived principalship, you're either a manager or you're an instructional leader. You need to be both. And I think we can mesh that in ways that make sense, but unless you have a lot of preparatory work for this, it's not going to happen. So I'm very, very proud. I have 1,600 principals. That's a lot of principals. <laughs> And uh, it's, it's, it's unimaginable, it's, really. It, and yet, I can tell you that I know the vast majority of them, and that I can tell you that our top tier of principals is really probably one of the largest percentages. But also, if you're in the middle, great, we'll get you better. But if you're not in either one of those two categories, then there's really maybe not a place for you over time. So without without wanting to hog the question role, but I have a burning question for Carmen. Uh, you mentioned the superintendents, which uh, are, these are the people who supervise principals and support uh, principals. They're called superintendents in New York. More generically in the country, they're called principal supervisors. But you took some very politically courageous important action uh, in New York City in regard to that principal supervisor position. Could you share? I, I really should preface this by saying that this was possible because of mayoral control, because the mayor and I, who had known each other in an educational relationship prior to this one, he was president of my school board when I was superintendent, and we had had many discussions at the time um, gave me the authority to restructure the system such as it was. And the first thing we did, which I don't think a lot of people believe that we were going to do or were going to be able to do, we asked all the superintendents in New York City to reapply for their jobs. And that was 44 superintendents. We're not talking, you know, two or three. And of the 44, we probably hired back probably a little less than half. And that really set the stage for what superintendents had to do compared to what they had to do in the past. And the most important criteria was that they had to be instructional leaders. 
if you're going to be in charge of principles and making principles better, or, or in the long run, evaluating principles, which is much more strenuous and rigorous now than it's ever been, then you had to know what a classroom education system looked like. You need to go into a classroom and be able to give teachers feedback. So that was really um, a good year's effort, and we interviewed everybody who applied. And I think the biggest surprise then what happened if I didn't get my job? I've been a superintendent for 10 years, and now you're telling me I can't do this? Um, yeah, we are. And that was really partially also when we raised the level and when people saw what type of people we were putting in those positions, it became actually more um, pleasant to apply for them because you were recognized as being a superior educator. Where in the past, that wasn't necessarily one of the criterias for being a superintendent. And then, you know, excellent superintendents then will pick excellent principals. And one of the things we've done in New York City, we've asked every superintendent to have a bench of assistant principals, a minimum of five, each of them, so that we don't always have to constantly be scratching our heads when another opening comes up. But also do something which is, again, in a city like New York, rather unique, that don't stick within your own geographical area. And I, I have to say my superintendents have been phenomenal. If you have a vacancy for a principalship, for example, and we need someone with a very strong English language arts or L, you know, you're working with dual language students, we expect you to be very generous and offer that candidate that you've already have your eyes on to another superintendent. We've done several of those this year. So we've moved from a very competitive model to a very collaborative model of leadership. Um, and that has been very important because we now know that even with the best principles, they're not all the best for the, all the schools. It's not one size fits all. I know personally for me, I was a pretty good principal of the school I was in. Not everybody would have been good for that school. And I know there were some schools I wouldn't have applied to because I don't think I was the right fit for those schools. So knowing yourself, and I think that's part of what you know Jody did particularly well with us when we worked on some of the Wallace work. Where do you fit in? Where will you be most successful? And again, retention is crucial. You don't get good at any job until your third to fifth year. So this notion that you have to move through this very fast to get to the next level and the next level, we've kind of said, okay, you're a great principal. I'm thinking of my learning partners yes. program. If you're a great principal, just in one of the schools the other day, I said to him, well, now what are you ready to do? Not taking you out of this job, but how many other people are you ready to work with? And I have a principal now who's working with six other principals. And they come to visit her school, and they learn from her, and then they replicate things she's doing, and then each of these principals is going to take on three more principals. So how do you take principals who are doing a good job and share them with others without always elevating them up? And we, so we now have master principals that we actually pay more money to, depending on the number of other schools they work with. And now we have a master master principal who actually runs two schools. So if we have a school that has a specific issue and yet another principal has been very good at solving that issue, and they're willing, they now run their own school, which basically their AP does a lot more of, and they also run another school. We just did one last week. And you also have evidence that those principals are staying. They're Absolutely. excellent principals and they're staying. In the original learning partner schools we of a hundred schools, only two principals have left, and both of them have left because I've, I've needed them for other jobs. That, and by the way, a lot of them are eligible for retirement, and not one of them has left. 
It sounds like you've really instituted a comprehensive approach to developing and supporting leaders, both at multiple levels. You've mentioned superintendents, uh, known as um, uh, instructional supervisors in some other contexts, master principals, principals, assistant principals, multiple levels, and you've emphasized that this support takes place over time, encompassing recruitment and retention. I wonder if we might um, close this terrific discussion um, <clears throat> by asking you, um, Chancellor, what advice would you give another district that is thinking about how do we really um, sharpen our focus on principles uh, to um, enhance our recruitment and support? I would say one of the most important things is invest in your best. We spend too much time working on the ones that are struggling rather than working on the ones that are the best and then giving away our ownership to them for them to work with the next tier and the next tier to work with the bottom tier. A leader can't be everywhere. I know that I certainly can't be as much as I think I'm trying too hard on this. So if I can pick the 100 best principals in New York City and ask each of them to work with at least three to five more principals and those principals then we're, we're going to get a sense of energy and celebration. And by the way, I mentioned my really phenomenal principles every time I have an opportunity. I put out a monthly newsletter called P-Notes, and it has a shout-out section, and in that shout-out section, I always celebrate whatever schools I've been to that month. I visit anywhere from three to four schools per week, and I take out the best highlight of the visits to those schools. And generally, if the school I visited is not on my shout-out list, <laughs> the message is there. Um, and also, I think, but focusing on the best is something that we don't tend to do as leaders. And it's to our disadvantage because they're the people who could do the work for us. We don't have to do it all. So I have a principal's advisory group. I have my lead principal leaders. Um, and I think celebrating and more and more so. We are not celebrating good stuff that's happening in education. I think it's striking um, the extent to which you are working to um, build understanding and awareness of the role of leaders and celebrating their uh, achievements. And um, uh, Jody, any final thoughts on uh, what we've heard today from the Chancellor of New York City? You're asking me to follow what Carmen just said? <laughs> uh, I, I wouldn't dare. I think that notion about uh, working with the best is actually new, is, is actually something um, that might be advice that, that uh, other folks looking to do this work take to heart. There's a real resource in the excellent principles, and then you create that cascade uh, effect. So I, I think we've heard some really important advice from Carmen today. Yeah, and can I, if I can add one thing. The other thing is we sometimes have to really bite the bullet and really say you're not meant to be a principal. And if we don't do that equally as much as we celebrate, we give mixed messages. And it's very, very important to say this job is not for you. Whether you've been doing it for two months or 20 years, there is a time when maybe you're not the right person for this job. Yes, and what we've, I think, heard from you in this conversation is the importance of both celebrating but also yoking accountability to this job because it is such an important one. Uh, and to return to a theme you brought, you brought up earlier, it is a pivotal role. I think you called it the most pivotal role. 
And with that, let me take the opportunity to thank our uh, two terrific guests for this podcast, um, Carmen Farina, the Chancellor of the New York City School System, and Jody Sparrow, Director of Education Leadership at the Wallace Foundation. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. I want to thank our listeners for joining us today. And if you've enjoyed today's conversation, please rate our show on Apple's podcast to help others find us. And to learn more about Wallace and find notes about today's show, visit us online at wallacefoundation.org podcast and follow the Wallace Foundation on Twitter at WallaceFDN. We look forward to sharing our next Principal Pipeline conversation with you soon.